0: Today's Bible reading is from Lamentations chapter 5. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. Our inheritance has been turned over to strangers, our homes to foreigners. We have become orphans, fatherless, our mothers are like widows. We must pay for the water we drink, the wood we get must be bought. Our pursuers are at our necks. We are weary. We are given no rest. We have given the hand to Egypt and to Assyria to get bread enough. Our fathers sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. Slaves rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the peril of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is hot as an oven with the burning heat of famine. Women are raped in Zion, young women in the towns of Judah. Princes are hung up by their hands. No respect is shown to the elders. Young men are compelled to grind at the mill, and boys stagger under the loads of wood. The old men have left the city gate, the young men their music. The joy of our hearts has ceased, our dancing has been turned to mourning, the crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us, for we have sinned. For this our heart has become sick, for these things our eyes have grown dim. For Mount Zion, which lies desolate, jackals prowl over it. But you, O Lord, reign forever your throne endures to all generations why do you forget us forever why do you forsake us for so many days restore us to yourself O lord that we may be restored renew our days as of old unless you have utterly rejected us and you remain exceedingly angry with us
1: well good morning friends What a joy and privilege it is to have you join us today for our 10.30 service. My name is Shabu, I'm one of the pastors here at Canterbury. If you're visiting, welcome. Uh, If you're someone who calls Canterbury home, i have got to be honest with you, as we've been uh, unpacking the book of Lamentations, I've just been really overwhelmed with a sense of just taking comfort in knowing God knew exactly what we needed as a church community. We as a leadership, as we were praying through preaching series and particularly as a teaching team, we didn't really know all the details of what was going to happen, both in the church life and in the life of the wider community, but God knew. I hope and pray that the Book of Lamentations, particularly if you've been following our series and you call Canterbury Home, has brought you great comfort and has given you space To be able to, to cry out to God and see that that is one of the greatest joys that we have as followers of his. And this morning we come to the final chapter. We've been confronted already as we've been unpacking the book of Lamentations that we have a holy God. A God who does not and cannot stand sin in any way. And he will bring judgment, he will bring loving discipline, and that actually is part of his gracious work and love towards his people. But we also know, as we've been unpacking, it, and even the verse behind me says that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, and he will cry, hear the cries of his children. And this morning we come to the moment where we consider Lamentations chapter. Five. Friends, this morning I want us to consider two things. Firstly, I want us to consider remember, and secondly, I want us to consider restore. Would you join with me in prayer as we start? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for this very moment that you are present with us. Even though we're spread apart, we are united in you for those of us who know you. Whether if we are followers of yours or skeptics or seekers, would you overwhelmingly encounter us through your word? Lord, for myself, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you through Christ Jesus, our Lord, for the glory of his name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever watched a movie and it's ended in the way that you just did not expect. Many years ago, there was a movie called The Titanic. Believe it or not, it was based apparently on a true story. It's the love story of a couple by a guy by the name of Jack and um, the girl's name, uh, what's, his, what's her name? Sunflower? Um, uh, what is it? Um. Tulip, oh, oh, yep, sorry, I can hear all the ladies yelling at me. Rose, yes, her name was Rose. It was a beautiful love story. Now, if you know history, you know what happens to Titanic. Uh, it's a bit of a spoiler alert here. It sinks. I know, if you've never heard about it, that's, that's what happens. But in this story of Jack and Rose, the unthinkable happens. Jack, spoiler alert, Ends up dying. I've got a confession to make. I've watched it. And I remember seeing it and thinking to myself, as it happens, I'm going, nah, surely. He's got to somehow come back to life. Or, you know, maybe he, he gets stranded up some island and they find him many years later and, and they're reunited and they live happily ever after. We love happily ever after stories, don't we? But that's not what happens in that story of the Titanic. They don't live happily ever after. And last week, we were really, uh, Cam did a wonderful service for us in, in unpacking chapter four. And he reminded us again how chapter three is the crux. This is where this famous verse comes from. Where we're reminded in verse 22 of chapter three the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. And you will think right there in that moment as chapter 3, in those verses, as it shifts to chapter 4, okay, this is the happily ever after moment. No, right? Can unpack that for us. And actually, in in lament and in this idea of lament in Scripture, sometimes that happens. Sometimes it happens where there is a resolve. There is a sense that God has answered. And maybe even stories like Job, where there is much suffering and trial, but then there is restoration. Well, friends, in verses 1 to 18 we're actually seeing, in many ways, the total opposite. In chapter 5, verses 1 to 18, what's in front of us is the display of a moment where the collective voice... Now, remember, there's different uh, personas of voices through the book of Lamentations, and now we come to a collective voice crying out to God, crying out to their God. And do you remember how Lamentations, uh, particularly in the first few chapters, are acrostic poems? So there's a sense of order. Although there's 22 verses in this, there is no order in the way that it's written in the original language. You know, if you've grown up with, uh, not if you've grown up, if you've got kids at home, most probably you've seen the Lego movie and there's that song, Everything is Awesome. But actually, in this chapter, everything is not awesome. So the nation is in disarray. In chapter 5, starting on from 2 onwards, you have this picture that is displayed to us, a nation that believed that the very land that was given to them by God, was promised by God, was their inheritance, has now gone to strangers. Their very home, that they call home, is now occupied by foreigners. They are a people who would have had parents, now their parents have been murdered or killed. In particular, the fathers have been killed or, and the widows are now the mothers. The very water that was freely for them is now something they have to pay for. The very wood that was openly freely for them to cut down for their various uses, they actually have to pay for it. And there's a sense that they're constantly being chased. You see those verses, that they don't have any rest. In this moment, the author is also making a very distinctive theological statement about rest. See, it's contrast to what the promised land ought to have been. So when the Lord gave the promised land to the people of Israel... He actually said to them, if you keep my laws, if you keep my statutes, if you keep my, uh, my statutes and laws I'm expecting you to, well, guess what? There will be rest for you from your enemies. Well, friends, what they are getting is total no rest at all. They're suffering the consequences of their sin and rebellion of their own and also of their forefathers. in such dire situation, they have to make treaties now and agreements with their enemies, Egypt and Assyria. They're asking for a handout from these people. And you know what, this was totally against what most of the prophets would have actually condemned the nation from doing. This was also a picture and action of submission. And so the choir that is in Lamentations 5 cries out, And in verse 7, it's up here on the screen, says, Our fathers have sinned and are no more, and we bear their iniquities. The very moment here is that they're bearing the fruit and fall of Jerusalem. Now, friends, you've got to remember as you've been unpacking Lamentations, right, this moment in history for Israel, it didn't just all of a sudden appear. Most commentators say it's about 900 years after the original covenant between God and the Israelites in the Sinai Desert. So it's not as that one day God just snapped. There was plenty of time for them to repent, plenty of time to relent to God's voice, and particularly through the prophets. But they didn't. And what they're bearing now is that fruit. In other words, they know. They've actually bought this on themselves. There's no excuses, and this is what we're seeing. And they're experiencing the very depths of this. Their very lives have been impacted by it. They were a people, sadly, at that time would have had slaves, but yet now those very slaves that served them are now they serving those slaves. They're no longer masters. And in the very thought of being able to eat and drink, they have to risk their lives to be able to even get the basic minimum needs for living. They are facing also the realities of famine in that city. The devastation and picture of women being raped. The very princes who are meant to be the heirs who will rule are being executed. The elders who sit at the city gates governing and ruling Are now no longer there and they do not have any respect at all. The men and the young boys who are meant to be the next generation have become slaves. It is a somber picture, isn't it? It's a somber picture of the city of Jerusalem in total dishonor. It's been occupied, it's been abandoned, it's in deep lament. It's facing thirst and poverty. Inflation has come into their city. Invasion, famine. There's a dependence on their enemies for survival. They're experiencing slavery. There's exposure to the elements. Rape, humiliation and utter exhaustion. Friends, what we're seeing in high definition is a picture of deep pain and chaos. Friends, I don't know if you are like me, when situations come in life that is just horrible and you see news reports and things going on and you just kind of go, oh, Lord, how long? But see, friends, that's what I think we do. We we run to all those things, but we forget. Do you remember how this chapter begins? So before we are faced with the true reality of Jerusalem as a city was facing, we have these words in chapter 5, verse 1. It's up here on the screen. Remember, O Lord, what has befallen us. Look and see our disgrace. This is an appeal to God from the choir of people. It's a cry saying, God, Yahweh, remember us. Another way of saying is, God, you actually need to intervene. Do you know what's going on? You need to actually act based on who you are and who we are as your people. This is how they cry out. This is why they cry out. This is why they say the language is, there's shame and reproach. Do you see? And friends, this is why lament is written. It's actually a wonderful way for us to also learn. For today, you may ask how. See what chapter five does for us. It beautifully models for us a way to cry out to God, not in sort of total um, loss of um, utter desperation. You don't know how to cry out to God. No, no, you can cry out to God, and it actually invites us to cry out to God and to move from being stuck in despair to actually move towards god friends I, I don't know if that's new to us in our culture I, I, you might be saying i already know that should be i'm not sure but i just wonder in sort of westernized and maybe in very comfortable australian culture we might say everything is fine and we might even say things like god is good god is good at all the time and these are wonderful truths yes but if we're always just constantly thinking about, let's have, think about the positives. What's the positives? Friends, we're actually missing the beauty and embrace of lament. This is what I think we can learn from our brothers and sisters in Christ, But this is actually normal life for them. A sense of being able to lament and cry out to God, to call out to God, to have mercy from God. And you know what? Maybe for some of us, the thought of crying out to God, maybe there's a sense of stoic, you know, or we're just going to, yeah, suck it up. Maybe there's a sense of embarrassment or weakness. Maybe we feel that it's not appropriate. Maybe you think that it's not okay for me to show that I'm struggling and I have these doubts and worries. Friends, this is what lament invites us for. It brings us in and says, yes, bring those things. Cry out to God. This is why lament is a gift. See, here we have what God wants us to do when we are in pain. He's inviting us to cry out to him. See, in this moment, this appeal of God remembering is a wonderful model for you and I today. That you and I too can appeal to the one who can actually end it all because of who he is. It's about his character. That we can come with our pain, we can come with our cries. And this is what's going on from verse 1 onwards. That this group of people, this choir, the, the author in this is inviting and displaying in the verses after from verse one, crying out to God to remember, to remember the relationship they have as the people of God, the covenant that they have. My friends, this is why it's so countercultural—not just then, but also today. As I said, we may struggle to cry out to God in these moments. We may be very quick to muffle these sense of crying out because of either fear, because we don't want to look like we don't believe, or a sense, I can't talk to God that way. Friends, if you know God, he invites you to lament. He invites you to lament. See, this is very different from just looking at our own pain or the pain in the world around us, and just staying there and wallowing. See, when we appeal to God's very character, then what happens in our heart is then it's refocused on who God is. It goes beyond our circumstances. And so we're invited by him to go to him, to lament, to talk to God of our deepest pain and cries. So friends, I've got a question for you. What's that for you this morning? You might be not experiencing what the people of Israel did. I hope not. But what is that in your heart right now, stirring? What are you going to do with that? Where are you going to head with that? And you know what, friends? This is a great witness to the world around us. Did you know that? You know, recently in our neighbourhood where we stay, we've got a Facebook group and with some of the things that have been going on with COVID and the case is pretty close to where we live, there was this moment you could just tell in the message there was this panic. They didn't know what to do with it. Or when uh, I've talked to people in in my neighbourhood and friends who who are going through really deep struggles and they just don't know how to respond See, the culture that we live in, particularly in Australian culture, we are wide, and myself included, to avoid any kind of pain, to avoid any kind of hurt, to avoid it all. And so when tragedy strikes, because it will, that is life, in this side of heaven, the tendency is to do the Australian thing. And what is that Australian thing? We might have heard words like this. Oh, it is what it is. Or, as apparently Ned Kelly, the famous Australian bush ranger, said, such is life. Friends, imagine for a moment, in those moments, if you, as a follower of God, can enter into that space and say, no, such is not how life was meant to be. Actually... Can I come along with you? I want to to come into this season that you're in. And all I can do, friend, is call out to a God who does hear. And on their behalf, we can actually cry out to God and say, remember, oh, Lord. And friends, I I get it. Like, we read Lamentations 5 and go, Shabu, that's not really happening here in Melbourne. It may be a sense it seems very distant. Friends, yet it's an invitation, no matter of that reality, that you and I can call out to God, to call out to him, to cry out to him to remember us, if you know him. (coughs) As chapter 5 continues in verses 14 to 18 Not only is there this devastating impact on Jerusalem, and we've seen that picture, there's also this other impact. It is the emotional impact on Jerusalem and its citizens. This is why we have this picture of the old men are no longer there to lead. The young men, no music, no joy, no life. And you see this in verse 15, right? See, it's up here on the screen. The joy of our hearts has ceased. Our dancing has been turned to mourning. And see, if you were a Hebrew listener, this would have made your ears stick up and go, oh, I've heard that before. Where have I heard that? Well, they would have probably heard it up here on the screen again. Psalm 30. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You've loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. That my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh Lord my God, I will give thanks to you forever. The psalm was sung at the dedication of the temple. Did you hear that? That song or that psalm would have been sung at the dedication of the temple. Which temple? The temple that is gone now. The temple that is destroyed. What's going on here in this lament is those words have been turned around. There's actually no joy the very place that they worship has been destroyed. What we're seeing is the emotional impact of these very true historic events. This is why the language is their heart has become sick. So much so that their eyes are filled with so much tears that it's gone dim. They can't even open their eyes. It's constantly teary. Because, as verse 18 says, Mount Zion or Jerusalem has been destroyed. This is where God's dwelling place is meant to be. It's no more. And friends, like I was saying, we can read these things and it feels almost distant to us. See, this chapter and these verses invite us to cause us, to cause our hearts to, to, to beautifully display the raw reality of true events that happen. But it's much more than the destruction of a city. What it points to is the bigger narrative, the bigger story, that this is what happens when a nation desires to be their own king and not have God as their king. That's the story of why Israel is in the situation that they are in the book of Lamentations, in the book of Jeremiah, for example. This is why the call is then for them to remember. To remember who God is. And as much as they're calling out also for God to remember them and to act, they're now moved to this reality in Lamentations 5.19. See with me on the screen. But you, O Lord, reign forever. (coughs) Your thrones endures to all generations. Did you hear that? See, it's a moment for them remembering who God is. The very kings that they were meant to serve are now being captured or are killed. Their thrones have been destroyed. The enemies who are now mocking them have enslaved them. They are now realizing they've come to see and they're crying out to God to remember them. And now, in a sense, they're remembering who God is. The God who is the king. One whose throne is not like any of the earthly thrones who will pass away. God's throne does not. He is the one who alone endures all generations. And friends, those words are there to bring comfort in the midst of lament. See, the people of Israel know the reason why they are there, why they're experiencing this, because of their rebellion towards God, because their rebellion towards who he is. And now they're remembering, as much as, like I said, calling out to God to remember, they themselves are now remembering who God is, that he is the Lord who reigns Forever the one whose throne endures to all generations. Friends, that is true even today. Do you and I believe that? And I don't mean just theologically. I mean in the very depths of our hearts. And one way to test that out is in these moments, in the very moment in our own world, when we hear the various noises Going on in our culture, the various circumstances that say, no, your God is not God. We're God. Your God does not reign. We reign. Our throne endures. And our hearts are stirred to go, oh, no, Lord, really? Are you not the Lord who reigns? Friends, he is still the Lord who reigns. The one whose throne endures to all generations. And so this is why the invitation is there in this lament. The lament is there to not let us just sit and wallow, but the lament now pushes us forward to lament in hope. To lament in hope. Friends, it's a beautiful reminder again that God is king, that he is in control, whether in seasons of great joy or seasons of great loss. These verses are here to reveal more of who God is. And this is why, as we get to know God more and his very character, it should move us to actually cry out to him more. This is the invitation then and in today. Invitation for those of us who know him to cry out to him because God is the one who reigns. Sin does not reign. The devil does not reign. Death does not reign. And this is what lament brings in. The opportunity for us to lament and cry out to the Lord who reigns with hope. And because of who God is, who move towards this moment from remembering and asking God to remember them, and they're moved to remember who God is, then they cry out to Him to restore them. It's beautiful the last few verses. It's so raw and real. The request is restore us. In Lamentations 5.21, look with me, it says, Restore us to yourself, O Lord, that we may be restored. Renew our days of old. Friends, do you notice the language here is the request of God to bring them back to God, that he'd be willing to allow this nation to come back to that wonderful covenant relationship that they have with God. But they need to ask of God to move first. They're asking God to move. And in moving, they're asking, we will move. There's repentance picture going on here. And, and the language here is, what are they asking God to restore them? Their land? Their city? They say, no, restore us to you, God. Only then are we truly restored. It's a, a cry out for God to act to restore their relationship with him. And then only will they be fully, truly restored, like the days of old. Those days and stories of God coming and rescuing them from slavery, from Egypt. Stories of God destroying the Philistines because of his covenant relationship with them. This is a cry Saying, Lord, we know that true restoration is more than just making our enemies actually go away. True restoration is a right relationship with the God of Israel. The relationship that we have with you. Because you are our God and we are your people. You know what, in this moment, this is where, right, you could easily end the story and go, okay, we're finished, we're done, happily ever after, No. It continues. It's almost a sense that this is what they're crying out for God to do, to restore. And then almost they it's like the voices are saying, but will you really restore us? Will you destroy us? Will your anger remain with us forever? Have we gone way too far now? There's no turning back at all? I don't know if you knew this, but the book of Lamentations to this day is read and recited annually by Jewish people. It's on the day of Tishba. This is when they uh, actually recount. It's it's a day of fasting. It's when they mourn the destruction of the first and second temple. And it's so alarming to them that when these verses are read, of the last chapter of Lamentations 5, often when it's read, the custom in the synagogues is to repeat Verse 21 after verse 22, because they can't just leave it there. It's a sense, that the last few verses, it's, it's almost you're left hanging. Another way to put it is to ask the question, how long, oh Lord? Friends, have you ever felt that yourself? Have you ever felt like, oh, I've gone too far. I've messed up too many times. Maybe God has rejected me. I'm too too far gone. There's no way God could save me. God can't even save that person. They're too far gone. They're too far. Or maybe you're in that sense of lament and crying, God, how long is this going to go? I don't think I could take anymore. Will it ever end, this suffering, this trial? With the very season that we're in, ever end, Lord? See, in Lamentations, we were reminded very clearly. Yes, we ought to take the seriousness of rebelling against a holy God. But yet, as this chapter reveals, we're invited to cry out to God to remember and to restore. And you know what? I like that Lamentations 5 finishes with questions because it needs to be answered how and will it eventually be answered we know that the story of the bible continues past lamentations at the end of the day it must be answered in a person in the lord jesus christ he's alone the one who can resolve these questions the writer in the hebrews in hebrews would say in chapter one of verses one to four having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. You could do a whole sermon on those verses. But friends, it is a picture of our answering the question, has not God remembered us? He has. He has remembered our plight, our rebellion, our sin, by sending the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only has he sent his son, if we've put our faith and trust in him, we have received a greater inheritance in Jesus Christ. Actually, we are no longer orphans or fatherless or widows. We are adopted as his children and as heirs. We've been given the greatest living water and the bread of life shown in Jesus. You and I have, can know that we can find true rest not in a place but in a person, in Jesus Christ, who says to us, come to me who are weary and I will give you rest. Your sins, my sins, if we put our faith in it, have been cleansed. This is why you and I can sing and dance with joy, even if it's internally, not externally, because of what Christ has done. Because he is indeed Lord. As the chapter in Hebrews says, he is the one who does reign. Jesus is king. And because of who he is, his very character, if you have a relationship with him because of who he is, he does not forget us forever. He will not leave us or forsake us. He has restored us if we have faith in Christ. Because we we have not been utterly rejected. Because of Christ, because of his work, the anger that was stored for us has been poured out on him, the one on that cross, the Lord Jesus Christ. So you and I can take comfort. Because of his death and because of his resurrection, as Jesus said, in the seasons of great trial and lament, Jesus brings these comforting words. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. An author by the name of Mark Veragop in his book, Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy, says it this way. Christians can enter the rubble of life and even lead and lament because we know the rest of the story. We can open our hearts, our voices, our homes after lockdown. Do you that? To people who desperately want restoration have no ideas where to find it. Dark clouds can yield. Deep mercy is lament leads to Christ. Friends, as we conclude, if you're someone who does not know Jesus, I want you to know your sin, your rejection of God, means that you're under the wrath of a holy God. And you might be facing various challenges in your life, and you might be trying to fix it yourself. I want you to know, being good does not make you right before a holy God. It begins being confronted with that there is a holy God who sent his one and only son to die on a cross for your sin and my sin. And so he invites you, maybe even today, to come and seek him to... Knock and you will find. Because he alone can answer your deepest cries. Our invitation to you at Canterbury Gardens is to stop running. Aren't you tired of living in fear of the things around you? We would invite you to come and explore the one who reigns. The one who is Lord over all. If you're a follower of Jesus more than ever your friends your colleagues your relatives your neighbors are more than ever confronted with the reality of death of pain of suffering maybe in this season God is inviting us to have a humble posture and inviting us to enter that space to point those friends of yours, to point those work colleagues, to, to point those relatives who don't know Jesus. And the invitation is there for you and I. We should cry out to our God on behalf of our friends who don't know him and also on behalf of our city. And we can share with them what lament brings. And friends... It's been a long season for many of us already. And the year has not even ended. If you're a follower of Jesus and you are weary, you might be so tired and exhausted, and maybe even a sense of sadness constantly, despair and pain. I meant and invites you and I to say, that's Okay. Yet the invitation is though to keep moving, not away, but moving towards the God who says he has remembered you because of Christ. And he's asking you to maybe even cry out to him today, to ask him to comfort you. God has remembered. God has restored through Jesus Christ our Lord. And because of this, You and I can sing. God is our only hope. Our only hope is him. And Christ assures us of that. God bless church.